Have you heard about the guys over at Chinook Seedery? They are the only sunflower seed company that is taking the time to connect with college athletes and trying to help them build their brand. They have eight flavors from mild to wild with way less salt and no sandpaper tone. So check them out today over at ChinookSeedery.com. In all over the many, many years that I've covered professional wrestling, I have seen a lot of changes. A lot of changes in this great sport. And a lot of changes in a number of individuals in professional wrestling. In the World Wrestling Federation, here is a man that has not only turned it around 180 degrees, 180 degrees. but he's gone another 360 and then 360. and then another 180. It was all a dream. Tommy Hawk has made it happen. Swings and hits one in the left center field. What else is new? And it's out of the glove is Marslak, and Hawk is scampering in his second. Great start for the Deeks and Tommy. Same as them, same as them. So let it go, let it go. That's the way that it goes. First you're in, then you're out. Everybody knows. You're hot, then you're cold. You're a lot in the dark. Just you wait and you see that you're swimming with sharks. Yo, what is up, everybody? It's time again for the NLP Bench Podcast. I am Daniel Ball, and I'm joined as always by my co-hosts, my partners in crime, my brothers from other mothers, Jim Cross, Randy Jowers, and guys, we got season eight, episode two coming at you titled Ball Hawk, because tonight we'll be talking to our guest, the most charismatic guy in college baseball, Wake Forest star Tommy Hawk. So guys, I really don't want to waste any time. I want to get right to this. Help me welcome on to this show with the biggest interview in podcasting this week. The guy who has the most fun on a baseball field, Wake Forest's very own Tommy Hawk. Man, Tommy, how are we doing tonight? Doing good, doing good. So check it, man. I did this for you because I know you see all the LSU stuff in the background, like, and I didn't want to come in taunting. So I got my Wake Forest in off the bench. I got my Wake hat. I got my Wake koozie I got from Winston-Salem. So I'm, I'm being, you know, very fair here. Very courteous. With, with, with all that very LSU courteous. stuff, yeah, no, throwing no shade, okay? Can't yeah, I get the posters off the wall. But what I can do is I can I can wear the the wake apparel. So treat treat our guests right. Respect, respect. But with that, man, let's let's break the ice here before we get into your story. So it's an important question. If there was a zombie apocalypse and you could pick three teammates for Wake Forest, who do you want on your team to survive this thing? Uh I'm going one one Adam Sasiri, most likely. Um he'll do a lot of protecting for me for sure he's a big crazy dinosaur so i got him going one one and then my second pick i'm going pierce bennett because he's kind of like a trailer park boy for sure he's one of my best friends but he's kind of like a trailer park boy so i'm going those two guys and then 
for my third pick, I'm probably going Colt Rowland because he's just kind of a maniac when it comes down to moments like that, life or death. Sounds good. No, no. I mean, Nick Kurtz is a big dude. I don't know that I'm not like. Yeah, I, he's kind of that's the fan pick. That's that's kind of like he kind of like a little teddy bear though. Oh. Like I'd rather have guys going into it knowing I'm I'm gonna survive. You know. You know that's that's back to back episodes. A teammate threw somebody that we thought was big because last episode was Tennessee and Andrew Lindsay said Blake Burke was a teddy bear. So these big guys, Daniel, they they big, but they ain't bringing it. I mean, what's what's crazy is. In my opinion, when I watch you guys on TV, everybody looks big. Yeah. So, like, it's funny to me when you get guys that go, oh, well, he's he's soft as Charmin or he's he's just a big teddy bear. Like, I'm like, man, this guy's really put on a, a show. On but they, hit, they hit 485 right. bombs, though, so there's like, that. that. Yeah, I can do that. So, you know, if you were going out right now, speaking of, with the crew – you had to sing a karaoke song. You had to pick the song that you felt most confident singing in front of people. What song is it? I don't know. I might go. This is really not my vibe, but I'll, I'll probably go like Little Bitty by uh, fuck. Little Bitty. Or, or uh, fuck, what's the other song called? Uh, Jesus Christ. This one's blanking me right here man blanking him he don't know man we're i'll go i'll go, we're not, right, I'll go i'll go island song i was to say we're not taking him to karaoke night daniel I got it. no i'm not great at, i'm not a great karaoke person you're, if you're going to karaoke night with me you better bring it because I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna be on my a game <laughs> i'll bring it in other ways but i don't know the karaoke side well we'll see if you got an answer for this next one then because we're staying music right. realm like all right you were a rapper What's your rapper name, Tommy? Tomahawk. Lil Tomahawk. There we go. Lil whatever. That that seems to be like the template. Well, you rapper. got to. You got to. Yeah. But he, I think, he's I, actually, I think I have to go Lil T Tomahawk or something like that. Lil but he actually he actually fits that theme though, man. My, my man that's what I like about him, man. Don't I, let his size uh throw you though. Exactly. So this one's fun, man. You're a different age than us, so there's no telling who it might be. But who was your childhood celebrity crush, whether musician, actress, you know? Uh, growing up, it was definitely Selena Gomez and Ariana Grande. I was just growing up, those are the two celebrity crushes for sure. I feel like I grew out of that, and it went to more of like a Margot Robbie now. You know? Now we share the same interests. I'm with. I'm with yeah. Harley Quinn can can come over anytime. Uh, My wife didn't hear that. Tommy said. <laughs> Tommy said he's already got his tickets for Barbie. I didn't say that, but I did see a big old ad in New York when I was there the other day for it, and I was like, I would go watch that movie. Just not I'm playing. No. Hey, I guarantee there's going to be women that go watch that movie just for Ryan Gosling. Hundred percent. Sure. Well, that and there's gonna be women there, Tom. It's like going to a a country uh concert. You know, it's like seven to eight girls mm -hmm. per one guy. So, I mean, he could show up in Barbie movie, you know, and be surrounded by women. It's not a it's not a bad idea. It's not a horrible idea. I don't know if it's my type of vibe though. You know, <laughs> I feel you. Uh, <laughs> I, I've I've seen some pretty I've seen some pretty bad chick flicks for girls. So, I mean, you know, whatever you got to do sometimes. But moving on, favorite athlete growing up. 
Uh, Robinson Cano. Daniel, I love that answer because that that's back-to-back answers where we got somebody just not your typical answer, right? Like, especially your teammates, right? I feel like all three of your teammates said Bryce Harper, no joke. Like, really? it was a typical answer. And then back-to-back, like, just we're getting completely different answers. I like that. And Robinson Cano, what a swing. Yeah, exactly. He's pretty good, so I hear. Um, <laughs> you, you just left from New York. And your favorite athlete was a New York Yankee. Is there some type of like love for the the New York? Uh, yeah, for sure. I'm definitely I definitely grew up a Yankees fan. My grandparents are from up there. Uh I grew up a Yankees fan. He was always my favorite player growing up. And then even when he got traded away or signed with the Mariners, he uh was still my favorite player. Tried to mimic my game after him because I played second base till I got to Wake Forest and I couldn't feel a ground ball anymore. No, I'm messing. But I, yeah. I couldn't even see you playing second base the way I watch you cover the outfield. Oh man, just you might as well just be the only guy out there. Sometimes is what it feels like, and I'm sure your left and right fielders are just like, well, let me just play the line over here. Tommy's <laughs> got everything else. Gap to gap, yeah. here he goes again. Well, and that and that's the thing, and we'll get into. They also, I will say they uh they we we did a good job like backing each other up and like. I would have the rain to like go and dive or whatever. Even if I miss the ball, I know they're just going to be there, you know? Yeah, Daniel, we're, we're obviously going to get into wake later, but I don't actually have this as a topic. So let's, let's just bring it up now. When we talk about the coverage that Tommy has to do, everybody likes to talk about the short left and right field porches right out there at wake. But Tommy has a unique dynamic that not a lot of guys in baseball have to deal with because the center field, not only does it cut out, but if I understand it correctly, Tommy, it goes up. Um, yeah, the whole table. warning, the whole warning track like rises at wake of probably six inches or something as it just goes up. And it's kind of I mean, as a freshman, I was like it was like weird every once in a while. But this year, I felt like it was very normal. But like we would have game. We had games in like our regional and stuff. And we had kids falling on the ground for the other teams because it's like a little hill and it comes out of nowhere. But yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. It's. Definitely nice, you know, when you have those kind of quirks in your field for that to be your home field. Um, and to me, it sounds like it took a little bit to get used to that. Sir. So let's, you know, you, you started talking a little bit about family. So let's let's get into that. Let's talk about you growing up. Tell me a little bit about where you're from. So I'm from Oak Island, North Carolina. It's like smack dab in the middle on the coast of Wilmington and Myrtle Beach small little town uh grew up here from second third grade all the way to uh right before my junior year I moved up to Winston-Salem and spent two years there and then went to Wake uh but I played if I have it correctly you got two brothers right I got well yeah I got two brothers and then we raised my cousin that I also kind of look at as a brother so three three brothers out you know in in the house like what are the age groups and where do you fall in that um is me and my me and my younger brother he's 18 young 18 months younger than me and then my older brother rusty he's i'm 20 he's 25 now and then my oldest brother zach's like 29 now with two kids so so how is how is growing up is it like what I picture a house full of boys, I picture just heavy competition to start, but like 
fighting and beatings and blood <laughs> and tears and just all kinds of just craziness. So like, talk me yeah. through, like, is, is in my own point with, with thinking that way. You're right. <laughs> right on point, man. So right on point. Uh, yeah, me and my, me and my younger brother, Austin, who plays at Carolina and he actually just committed to wake uh, this week. He just hit the portal and committed to wake. He, uh, me and him always were the ones fighting and we were always like very competitive with each other growing up in every single sport from baseball to football, whatever it was, didn't really matter. Even if we were playing like right in the front yard, it didn't matter. We were getting fist fights over that type of stuff. But me and Austin were like kind of like best friends always growing up and we always did everything together. And then my older, older brother was kind of on the vibe of like golf, you know, like me and my brother didn't play golf. We, we played like contact sports and sports like that instead of golf. So me and Austin always were like together doing all that stuff. So obviously, you know, there's heavy competition. You guys are doing your thing. You know, you're, you're fighting, you're doing what brothers do. Boys will be boys, but outside of the house, obviously you played baseball. So at what age did you start playing baseball? Uh, I like, I obviously like, I mean, my dad made me pick up a bat when I was like two years old, but I probably, I mean, I've started at like five, six and probably before then, honestly. And, but like, I, I really, my first time really remembering baseball was like when I was like seven, I was playing all-stars when I was seven, eight or seven, eight year olds. I remember playing all-stars when I lived in Raleigh and then I moved to Oak Island. And I just remember playing in like third grade, like little league, like, eight, nine, U, 10, U. And then my, when I was nine, I think I played on my first travel team out of Wilmington. And then after I played my first travel team, it was just kind of like, I knew I was going to go the baseball route if I was going to make it for any type of sport. Yeah. I heard a key word. I heard a key word in there. You said he made you pick one up. So is dad a, dad a huge baseball guy? Uh, Yeah, he was kind of more of a basketball guy than a baseball guy uh, growing up, but he, he said, he said, Tommy, you got three other brothers. Here's a bat, bro. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. And he was more of a basketball guy kind of, but uh, he did. I mean, he's been my hitting coach my whole life practically. And he's taught me a lot with baseball because he played baseball too the whole time. But he uh, definitely paved the way for me and my brother and taught us a lot and obviously took us to like everything that, started us off and got us through like travel ball and all that stuff so that was pretty good because he didn't really know that much about any of that type of stuff and then we just like started playing travel ball and he kind of made me pick a sport between soccer and baseball when I was like I don't know like nine ten I had to pick one to play travel for and I picked baseball that's what it was uh, Daniel think about this a basketball dad he said was his hitting coach and he's like a career 375 hitter like that's phenomenal. He can he can come coach my kid anytime he wants. I mean, if he if he like if a basketball dad gets you hitting above three hundred, I can imagine like how good your jumper could be. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, you you talked about soccer and having to make a choice, but I, I'm assuming that because at such an early age, you're having to make a choice between baseball and soccer. It was pretty much baseball from there all the way through high school and to college. 
Oh yeah, I played. Yeah, it was pretty much all baseball, but like in middle school, I played football, basketball, track, uh, baseball, and something else. I don't even know. But I played like every sp- single sport through middle school, and then I got to high school, and I stopped playing all my other sports. But I also, I also committed to Wake my freshman fall. And what high? What high school? I was at South Brunswick High School out of Bowling Spring Lakes, which is right off of Oak Island. I could definitely see the track, Daniel. I, I mean, I was there firsthand for that speed. Like, dude's getting down the line so fast. Yeah, so, so let me ask you this. When we're doing research, we're we're looking at things, and, and a lot of times guys don't listen to their accolades and kind of, like, reflect on it. So I'm going to read these off to you, and then I just want to want you to talk a little bit about these things that I rattle off. So you're rated the number 16th best recruit in North Carolina by perfect game. Um, you named central Piedmont player of the year in 2021. You were first team all conference. You led your high school to North Carolina 4A state championship. You were voted MVP as a sophomore in 2019 and you were high school teammates with your boy, Josh Hartle. So, um, you know, given all that, does, does that stuff matter to you? No, not really. I mean, I, I like the uh, the stuff that matters to me is like the team stuff. I feel like like the state championship, like the 16th overall recruit coming out of high school. That shit don't matter at all. No one gives a fuck about that type of stuff. No one. That's how I think about it. I mean, it really doesn't matter because, I mean, you're going to go to a college no matter what. And if you don't hit, you're, you're not going to play. I mean, no one really cares about your ranking. But like the team stuff and playing with Josh and going to the state championship for my high school that was that meant a lot to me for sure it definitely shaped the way like i thought of a lot of stuff for sure yeah i i I don't think you should glance over it i mean obviously i get what you're saying those team accolades are way more important than the individual ones but when you're rated the 16th best recruit you know by you know perfect game like we're not talking about just some you know mickey mouse organization that's ranking you we're talking about the premier ranking system that everyone goes off of like to me that tells me what type of athlete you are what type of player you are how hard you work and like I don't think that should be understated because to become that you have to put in time and and you've done that man so a lot of success just in North Carolina high school baseball but what was the moment in high school where you were like man I can do this at the next level uh my freshman fall I went down and played at the world wood bat and I kind of just like raped probably had one of the best tournaments of my life and literally right after that tournament I just kind of had bunches of schools just start calling me out of nowhere it was kind of it was kind of crazy because I never I didn't have like any schools calling me at all and then I mean I was a freshman and stuff like it didn't really think about it like that and then I went down to this tournament there was obviously a bunch of college coaches there. And after that tournament, it was just like my phone was just blowing up off of, of from other coaches. So let me ask you this, just a side note was, was Josh Hartle, was he, was he as nasty as he is now in high school? Josh was nasty in high school. He's probably nastier now because he throws a cutter and different things and they're really good pitches um he's a different pitcher now though I would say he's a different type of pitcher in high school like right now I mean he's 
throwing in his cutter a lot and he's striking out way like so many kids is ridiculous and in high school he was kind of just like a heater curveball guy just striking out everyone and getting soft contact every time that's what it felt like and but he's kind of he's definitely developed a lot and changed some of his pitches up and different things but I think he's better than he was for sure I think he's developed a lot and I think he's looking really good yeah I mean you've almost you know you with guys throwing 98 to triple digits on a consistent basis like you almost have to have some type of wrinkle outside of a fastball so yeah for um, sure I, I could see like where the growth at, at wake would help him there but let, let me ask you this you mentioned you know committing your freshman year which seems like a pretty early time to commit and then you mentioned you moved to winston-salem um but how does wake forest come into the fold was it when you had this amazing outing and you're, you're going crazy and then you, you say that the phone just started ringing was Wake Forest one of those calls or was Wake Forest in the game earlier than that? And you just said, you know what, now I'm in Winston-Salem, like this is where I want to be. How does, how does Wake become the school? So my freshman year, I was living, I was still in Oak Island. I was still living in Oak Island and I, my dream school was Duke and I was kind of reaching out to Duke. They weren't really reaching out to me and different things and other schools kind of doing the same thing. And then I went to that tournament and played in that tournament and played really well. And then after that, all the schools that I was like, I was reaching out to, they were reaching out to me at that point, Duke and Wake and NC State and different schools. And Wake was always like, like I was interested in Wake, but I never like, I didn't know much about Wake. I was always a Duke fan growing up. I'm being from North Carolina. I was always Duke fan. And if I wanted to play baseball in North Carolina, it would probably been at Carolina or NC State. That was like a North Carolina kid's dream, I would say. And I don't know. I just like showed up on campus at Wake and it just like I fell in love with the coach mostly. Like it was mostly the coach. I just like I was very comfortable with him and like respected him. And it just like and I trusted him a lot through the process and compared to the other coaches I talked to. A lot of the other coaches kind of gave me weird vibes a little bit. And (laughs) I didn't get that at all with Walt. And so he was pretty straightforward with me. And it I mean, I. I obviously made a decision really early, but I definitely don't regret it. And I know I made the right one, which I'm glad I did for sure. Cause I could definitely see kids just like making the wrong decision too early. Well, they've changed that rule now. So yeah. do you, do you, yeah. do you like that they changed that rule? So because I, think, yes, I like it. Yeah. There, there's a it, lot it, of guys. I think, I think it gives more school shots at kids too. Right. So there's a lot of guys who've said exactly what you said. They wouldn't change their decision, but they do like the idea, like you said, of waiting till later down the line, get more options. And some of these guys, I mean, let's use a guy like Ben Joyce, who's already in the pros, right? Yeah. He didn't get any offers until after he'd already committed to a community college because he didn't hit a growth spurt till his senior year, shot up nine inches. His velo went up 11 miles an hour, like, and, you know, and everything like that. And so, he had already committed early to a school and he believed in committing. If you wait till later that senior year, he it would all change the game. And so we've got a lot of guys like that, but most people say they wouldn't change um, where, where they chose no doubt. And for you, like, I mean, you look at how this has played out. Um, you definitely wouldn't change it. I think you probably, cause you're about swag. I think you picked it because of the, the unis and the colors. Hmm. And yeah. the field. So what's crazy, man, is like, 
I can see how somebody could fall in love with the coach for, for this reason. When they're basically backing you as a freshman in high school, that's like a long-term commitment, a long-term plan that you fit the trajectory that we're trying to build, which is to take my team back to Omaha. And to be able to be a part of that now, looking back at it, when you commit, it's like, man, that's unbelievable. One, that everything panned out to you going there, but also the long-term plan that the coaches put together, like piece by piece, like fit to a T. Well, and, and that's why a lot of these guys say that they have no regret because they went to the school that came after them early and wanted them. Um, so, you know, there's something about that. When a coach comes at you and shows you that love early, um, yeah, you're you're appreciative, right? You're not the one late to the game and, and you reward those who come to it early. But right off the bat, man, I got to talk to you. When it comes to Wake, I just said something about the swag. I go out to Winston-Salem and watch you, Tommy, and the first thing I notice, other than your elite speed, is your cleat game, man. And I get to talking to Brock and he said, man, that's, that's just one pair. Dude's, dude's got cleats out the yang. Like talk to me, how many pairs you got? What's your favorite? Uh, I actually only had two pairs this year. So he was lying about that, but I only had my golden black pair that I've, and I had those for two years and I wore those my freshman year and then some of this year. And then I, I got that other pair this year, the black pair. Um, but I, I, I got that pair, that golden black pair, my first pair of ones uh, in the cleats. And I honestly just thought they were just the most comfortable cleat that I've ever worn. And I just, obviously they were a little swaggy, but I just thought they were the most comfortable cleat I've ever worn. And so I just started sticking with them and I was just keep, keep rocking them. Well, I mean, I'm just, a lot of people are pretty basic other than Dylan Cruz. And so for me, it was the first time that I seen somebody who had fresh cleats like that, him and him and Kay Beloso. And uh, yeah. And now, now I question everything with Brock because he told me, cause I had wore my golden black J's to watch y'all. And he told me that he had like 20 pairs of J's. Now I got to have somebody do a closet check and see if he's lying. So he, <laughs> said you had, nah. he said you had a bunch. He, he's got a lot of J's, but he gets like, he was just trying to get. He was just trying to give you props. He was yeah, trying to give you props. It's all good. Yeah. But now I only have two pairs of cleats, and yeah, that's what it is. I rocked with them all year. I started. I changed my cleats up like ten games into the season, and then started hitting homers somehow. It just happened. Daniel was kind of like, dude. He kind of had the Sandlot vibes with Benny. Like he had those those fresh shoes and then he ran yeah flyers, yeah, yeah, flyers that's what i'm saying he ran like he had them on dude dude could have pickled the beast undoubtedly but well, let's get into it man you know um when you get to wake you know are you one of those that's like man you're nervous when you get there because there's all these expectations or are you one of those that's excited let's man let's get on the field and play ball um so actually i feel like i kind of had no expectations at wake um, this was also due to the fact that I had surgery going right into school. I had surgery like July 6th and I went to, or July 4th or 3rd or something. And I went to summer school July 6th and I had surgery on my wrist and was out the whole fall and stuff. So everyone's kind of, I mean, you can get that vibe where it's like, everyone looks at you, you're not playing. You're just like sitting around, not really working out or anything. And you're just like the smallest guy on the team. So it's like, and no one really seen you play or anything. So it was kind of like I had no expectations going in. And the and I mean, I've started playing in the preseason and I didn't like 
hit that hit that well. I didn't hit bad, bad, but I didn't hit that well. I mean, I had taken a ton of time off from baseball and everything, and I got thrown into it kind of quick. And I ended up last season not starting and then ended up getting a start because our center fielder got hurt. But, yeah, I feel like I had no expectations going in to school. Besides the fact I did have a pretty good, like, high school record and, like, things about that. But from, like, a college perspective and the guys on my team perspective and my coach, I feel like there's no expectations. Yeah, so, I mean, here's the crazy part. So, you obviously come off the injury and you don't play in the fall and then you have no problem getting acclimated. You know, you freaking – Played in 58 games, 46 starts in the outfield, led the team um, with the fourth highest batting average as a freshman in program history with 380, um, led the team in on-base percentage with a ridiculous 502. Um, You know, Tommy, batting 380 as a freshman, man, playing in the ACC, which ain't no joke, man. Just talk to me about that success early, especially the fact that you didn't get to play in the fall. Uh, I feel like when I went out there – when I did get my chance, it was just kind of like I gave no fucks really. And it just like, I was just going out there to compete because I knew I had to prove myself kind of, and I didn't want to stress about that and stress about different things, but I knew I had to prove myself to my coaches and everyone. And I mean, I was getting like pinch hit at bats and a start here or there when that kid got hurt. And then we went down to Georgia tech for our, I want to say our second ACC series that year. And I had a crazy weekend. I go like I started off the weekend like five for five in the first two games. And then I, I just raked that whole weekend and ended up starting the rest of the year. But it just kind of like I went into that game just like I don't care. There's I mean, I just got to prove myself pretty much, catch some barrels. Yeah, I mean, and that you did. I mean, the batting average itself is sick. The OBP it just talks about as a uh as a freshman man your your patience your ability to see the ball um so yeah man shout out to you just I mean out the gates some guys struggle early and and so you know I want to really get into this past season so I don't want to spend too much time on the freshman season but I do want to talk about you know you go to college park um and y'all obviously lose to Maryland but the question I asked Brock and I and I asked Adam and Nick you know Knowing you had what you had coming back, all the talent you did, um, a lot of them said that they were, even though they were down, they were excited, ready for the next season because you knew that you had a team that was going to be able to come come back and be better than the previous team. Did you feel kind of feel the same way? I mean, yeah, coming in, like, throughout the summer and stuff, I knew we were going to have a better team. And then when I got here in the fall, it was just like a whole different scene compared to what it was last year. I feel like we just – from day one, it was kind of like we knew we were going to be really good. And I I thought that was actually kind of crazy because, like, the year before, we were just like – I feel like it's more relaxed vibe and different things. And this year, we just come right in and we're like, yeah, we're just going to beat everyone's ass and be the number one team. And it kind of – we kind of, like, spoke it into existence and we just, like, believed in it and it happened. Yeah, we kind of uh, we kind of got mocked here and off the bench. There wasn't a single one of the three of us that didn't have you in the top four, um, as high as as three on mine. And I believe Daniel had you. I think Randy had you at four. And so a lot of people were like, "I don't understand why you're so high on Wake." And it's like, you know, do your homework. And so 
with that, man, like, and the, even when the season started and y'all were pounding people, you know, no one was still giving you the respect. Did did y'all like that y'all were playing that role that everybody was sleeping on? A little bit, yeah, for sure. I mean, we didn't really care. Even like even when we got the number one ranking, we didn't really care. I mean, I feel like we just still went out and tried to win every series, win every midweek, and just beat everyone's ass. And that's kind of what we did all year until I mean, we didn't lose back to back games all year. We we didn't lose back to back games all year until we played LSU. And I mean, I just feel like I feel like one if we did lose a game, like we dropped a game at Coastal or something. If we do lose a game, we just kind of like adjusted really fast and got ready for the next game and played a way better baseball game every time we lost we, the next game we'd always play a way better game yeah I mean like you said no no back-to-back losses just shows the way you did and then I always thought the midweeks were important right like you see a lot of the the big dogs losing the midweeks and like no nah, y'all didn't take the midweek off right like I mean especially uh, playing like the coastal Carolinas of the world and everything like y'all made sure to to make a statement even even on a Tuesday night and so, you know, this year you batted 351, 73 runs, seven home runs, 35 RBIs, 14 stolen bases. Not to mention, like I said, man, covering center center field, you were making ridiculous plays on the regular. Uh, let's get into a home series, right? Uh, what would you say was your favorite home series of the entire season? Um, Counting the postseason or no? We'll go ahead and count postseason, yeah. I'd say Alabama. <laughs> not a not a bad one to be your favorite that that second game where I actually I'm not going to get into it yet that's actually part of something I wanted to talk about but uh what would be your favorite away series like so, y'all I mean y'all didn't lose a series all year so I would say can't be I would say choice. I would say uh Louisville or Clemson Louisville ah Mayo I don't know it's Louisville or Clemson for sure when y'all because I didn't look obviously I don't study when you play a certain team when you played Louisville where was that before they kind of fell off a cliff. Yeah, that was right. That was right. We kind of like it felt like right after we played them, they fell off. I mean, you snatched their soul, Tommy. Well, Nap Napchek got hurt against us, and then like I don't know, they just kind of like fell off and started losing a bunch of games. We beat them in that series, and then after that, they just fell out of the rankings. So yeah, so Daniel, you had two teams that went a different route. So you had Louisville, they snatched their soul and they fell off, and then you had Clemson, they pissed them <clears> off and they got hot after Wake was done with them? Yeah, I mean, good teams tend to do that. They either make you hate life and you kind of fold, or they make you test yourself and see what you got in you and kind of you can go one way or the other, definitely. So, you know, here you are, number one team. No one's sleeping on you anymore. Um, you're hosting the regionals. Uh, the first game I want to talk about, man, like – I, me and Daniel talked about this on the show, uh, 1045, man, y'all put out a hype video that y'all are going to start at 1045, no matter what. And like, how does this whole thing come about? Like the, the, y'all are going to do a little hype video, get people fired up, make sure that everybody still tunes in. Uh, well, this is our, I think this is our second game of the region when we played Maryland, right? Right, right. Exactly. And I don't know. We were just, we got to feel, we got, Literally, both teams hid and everything. I, we might have even taken in and out. Who knows? And the next thing that they just like pulled us off the field, so we were just hanging there for hours on end. Hours yeah, five, on end. five hours. It says y'all waited. Wait, we were waiting to play all day, and we knew we kind of knew that we had to get the game in, and 
they knew that. And so it was just kind of a matter of time for them waiting to, to tell us to uh, go out on the field. But in the middle of it, we were in the team lounge and we just like our basketball coach came in there and we kind of made a hype video because we had a bunch of time and we made the hype video and it ended up, I mean, I don't know if it, made a lot of fans come but i know we got a we still got a good no really good you you still had a good turnout yeah it was a really good turnout at 10 45 at night in winston-salem for sure it made it to where i was i was gonna stay up no matter what and watch it i probably would have anyway but the i didn't make it through the whole game because y'all were putting such a beat down on them uh i mean yeah. i think i think y'all were going to like 2 a.m still scoring runs yeah. on them <laughs> so with yeah. that how, how did it feel the team that eliminated you the year before hanging 21 runs up on them I mean, it felt good. Uh, someone was asking me before we played them. They're like, "Are you gonna?" Have, they were talking about having bad blood with Maryland, and I was like, "I mean, I don't really care about Maryland. I know, like last year, I know they probably shouldn't have beaten us, and this year there was no chance they could have beaten us. I mean, I thought they had just zero shot. If I'm being honest, you with you, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, we obviously went at, at after them a little bit harder than like George Mason, but. I just thought there's just like no shot. They're facing Rhett. Rhett's all juiced up. I mean, Rhett, Rhett's stuff, stuff wise that night was probably the best I've ever seen in my life from a guy in a long time. Yeah, I mean, I, his last outing was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I get that. And his, I know, I get that. But his outing against Maryland, I swear, was just like his pitches were the best I've ever seen his pitches in his life, I thought from center field personally because I watched them all year and last year and I just was like damn this is unhittable yeah and I don't I don't think it was arrogant for you to say that y'all didn't feel like y'all could be beat in the regionals obviously you didn't feel like you get beat at all but everybody across the nation looked at that regional and thought that you know people look for upsets you know like Daniel yeah. Daniel picked the Oral Roberts one right but like no nobody was going to pick anybody from the Winston-Salem regional to knock you off but y'all go to the supers and um you know how it is people like to the SEC has been a dominant conference no doubt but you know Alabama ain't one of those top teams but people wanted to try to pretend okay well now they got to face the SEC team so Let's see what they can do now. And obviously, y'all decided to let them know, like, just how good you are. And yeah. that game, that game was hey, that second game specifically. Obviously, y'all end up just edging out the first game. Um, you know, Nashi, uh, he obviously shuts it down. But that second game, and you were part of it. You hit a no doubter bomb. Brock hits his three bombs. Like, just talk to me about that in a nutshell. One, like putting the haters to rest and taking Alabama out and putting up those runs. But also talk to me, you know, obviously Brock sets the record. You know, you hit that no doubt out of right field. Just talk to me about that whole game and that experience. Yeah, that whole day slash weekend was, I mean, for me, it was that it was crazy. It was, I mean, it was the coolest scene I've seen in Winston-Salem ever. And I've lived there for four years now. That was the coolest thing I've ever been a part of, for sure. Uh, I mean, the home runs and all that stuff. The wind was howling out in our Super Regional, but, like, I mean, we were just kind of like just touching up baseballs. Like, no I didn't doubt. see yours. Lay. It went over the trees. I didn't. I have no clue. But like, but like, we hit a bunch of home runs that second game, and I mean, obviously, I saw on Twitter after. I'm just like people shitting on our field and stuff. But like, 
I mean, we were touching up baseballs that were just going for over 400 feet, and it was just no doubters, and you're just to the pool side too. Like if it was 400 feet to center field, like four, that's a little different. But it was like 400 feet to the pool side, and you're just like, okay, we're just like hitting moonshots off these guys. Yeah, and I we felt like it was like Corona or something. There was only one guy who maybe had one that just barely went over the fence. Everybody else's was. 100 feet over the fence like no doubt and I, and I was putting trying to put yeah. the haters to rest on on twitter i was like dude what what game are y'all watching like these things are going yeah but crazy. like after we beat them friday it was like well shit they ain't got nothing for us they can't beat us twice in a row so we went out there so confident that next or i think we played i think we played saturday and sunday but um that second game we went out there very so confident and loose and just like we just knew we were going to beat the shit out of them. It felt like walking into the park, we knew it was about to happen. And yeah, they, they, they kind of folded over really quick whenever we put up runs in like the third inning, second, third inning. Well, this is a point Daniel always tries to make. And I, and this might be where you're facing go Daniel, like, cause he's a pitcher, you know, everybody talks about the park, right. But the other team bats there too, right? Like, so it's funny how they say that, but why ain't they putting up 22 runs? Yeah. I mean, it's, Barreling up baseballs and putting good swings on baseballs is all in the player who's swinging the bat. Like there's a little bit generated by the pitcher, but I mean, if, if you're hitting 400 foot bombs to the pool side, like those are bombs anywhere. Sorry. They're just going to be bombs at any part. Um, I was going to ask, you know, when you know that a team has to beat you twice, what is the conversation like when you go into the first game, is it like, hey, let's just give it, let's just end it now? Or is it loose? You don't really talk about it and, and you just kind of go out and kind of do your thing. So I knew, so that's kind of a good question. Cause like for me, I feel like the vibe with us compared from the super regional with our two games where we won the first game against uh, Alabama, we just knew we were going to win the second game. We were just like, all right, that's like, taken care of already we haven't even played the game but then like in Omaha I felt like we lost that first game against LSU and I mean we knew we had the face schemes we knew he had red like I was I was very confident in red and going out there and facing them um but I feel like as our our whole t- our whole team was just like in general just like a little bit more shaken up by that loss it was just like a little different. Um, it was obviously a bigger stage, but it was just a, like a little different. And we knew uh, we knew LSU could like punch us back every once in a while, and we just like never punch punch them with a run across that uh, last game. But that's kind of how it felt. It was just like we kind of got. I just feel like the morale of the team was just a little different after the LSU loss. But like going out against Alabama was just like yeah, like we got we're gonna prove to everyone this weekend. It was we're just better than an SEC school. So that's yeah. kind of how it was. So you get to Omaha. Let me ask you, man, like, obviously y'all had sellout crowds of, you know, like about 4,000. You walk out on that field against Stanford, and I was at that game. I remember the announced attendance was like 24,000 plus. What's it like, man, when, you know, how amped are you getting when you look around and you see 24,000 plus watching you? Well, it's pretty unreal. I mean, it's actually very unreal playing in it. Uh, I would say I told I've told everyone this that I'm friends with and stuff, but uh, the most nerve wracking part for me was actually like 
the walk out from the hotel and stuff like that. It was, that was like the most nerve wracking part, but like getting on the field and like being in center field or like, like being on the field, hitting BP and stuff and like hitting or whatever, it doesn't matter. It just like, it made me relax compared to like walking out and just seeing hella fans. It was just, it was a different vibe. The whole week was just like way different than anything I expected personally. I thought it like exceeded my expectations. Yeah, I was very impressed by the Wake fan base because so I made the mistake in the sense of when I came to see y'all, it was like 40 degrees against Mm -hmm. Notre Dame and lacked in attendance. And so because it was cold or whatever. And then obviously I see that y'all start, you know, selling out games. But then I don't know what to expect. I don't know who's going to come from North Carolina to Omaha. And then I get there day one. I'm in Rocco's. Um, I got Wake Forest fans who've sent me money to do shots for Wake. And so I'm obviously I can't drink all those. So I'm buying Wake fans shots and they seem to be everywhere and everywhere. And so I was very impressed by the way your fan base, man, came out there. And in that first game in the Wake Stanford game, there was, man, there was a lot of black and gold out there. So that was pretty cool. So y'all take care of that game. Obviously, um, you get that done. Obviously, you know, Camden gets it, closes it down again because Stanford, I think Stanford kind of got overlooked. I think you would probably agree. Like when you look at all four teams that were in bracket two, like, I, I mean, definitely to me, the best four along with Florida were, were on that side. And so you Stanford is everybody was kind of overlooking them and y'all didn't have an easy draw, but you get it done. And then you have the, you know, louder skeins matchup where, you know, got the two best pitchers in baseball. Like, when you look back on that, you talked about being in center field watching, and then obviously you're in the dugout watching the other side. Like, just what was it like watching those two go toe-to-toe? Uh, it's pretty unbelievable. I mean, just watching that and being part of that game, like, and especially playing in that game is pretty crazy. I mean, it – I don't know. I feel like I don't really realize how special that game was, even though we lost – like, I know we lost, but, like, I feel like I haven't really watched it or anything as much as I thought I would have, but I feel like that game was just like just playing and it was, it was a, it was a very different game than normal games in a sense of how good of baseball both teams were playing. I thought I most watched baseball game of the entire season. Yeah. I think the sense of, us and LSU, just the very good baseball that we both played, or both of our teams played. We both teams can bunt, both teams can make they make all their plays. They don't, we don't make errors. They don't make errors. They, we hit, they hit, they, we can, it's kind of like up and down the lineup. It's just like we home or they home. It, it just like, and it was just two cats going after each other. And someone, someone had to end the game at some point. And it was. I- it was probably going to end up on a homer because I don't think either team could have strung along two or three hits together to win. I I based kind of how it felt personally. I based the the game off of how uncomfortable Jim is during the game, and there were moments where he felt really good, but then there were moments, and probably towards the end, as as it as it kept going on and on and and there's no definitive like team uh, that has momentum because let's be honest when it it, let's be honest when it comes to LSU's biggest worry and our concern was our bullpen that's not something that Wake was necessarily 
worried about. They had dudes that had proven themselves all year. So as the game prolongs, after you get louder and skeins out, of course I'm nervous as hell because now you're to something that's been their strong suit and not ours. Sure. And so, I mean, obviously, like you said, y'all lost out. Y'all won the first one. And so, you know, Daniel brings out the numbers. Um, Actually, I think I don't have it in front of me. I actually think game three was the most watched. I could be wrong. But at that time, it was the most watched game of the season. And with good reason, like you had two of the best arms in college baseball on the mound. They'll be the first two off the board Friday, Daniel, when we're together in Tampa watching the draft. Be the first two off the board. So, so let me ask you, man, you, you get to that third game, man, you, Daniel talked about it, you know, the different scenario, whatever it, it kind of, and you said it kind of shook you, but like, I mean, still though, all year you said you haven't lost back to back games. Um, and, and I'll tell you as an LSU fan, like it's like Daniel said, he goes based off the pulse to me. I didn't walk into that game as an LSU fan with, confidence that we were going to win like I was really 50 50 I and and I tell people and I stick to this uh I, I put this out there on social media some people a lot of actually a lot of people agreed with it um but I did get some you know some feedback that was negative but I felt like that was the championship game game three between Wake and LSU it felt like the championship because I was there for the hell the whole LSU Florida series and never had the vibe of the Wake LSU series yeah I mean I'd say the fans for sure showed out for that series. That was crazy. But like I said, both teams, all three games played really good, really damn good baseball and kind of just went at each other and just someone had to beat one another. And it was kind of just how it was. Like I thought when we took the first game, I was like, damn, there's no shot. LSU's beating us twice. We're about to win this whole damn thing. We beat LSU. But I mean, the game against, uh, not typhoid, but the second game we we played that we lost, it was just like, I don't know, we went down real, real early and then we just couldn't, like, get it going again, kind of. And then the last game, like I said, it, we knew – we were – both teams I know for sure were going into it where it was like, you just got to grind, like, I mean, that – I mean, as a hitter, from the hitter standpoint, it's like you just got to grind, get this guy out the game, maybe scratch a run or two off, that's what you got to do. Hopefully, maybe someone runs into a ball, but damn, just like you just got to grind, put pitches on them. And I, we, we, as our, I mean, our team, I thought personally, we did, we put way more pitches on schemes than Rhett had. I mean, we had schemes at a hundred something pitches, and he went back out there for the eighth or ninth, but Rhett got pulled out the game in the seventh with 85, with also eating no food. So, yeah. He went shoddy eating no food. I mean, that's pretty damn good. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the the game <laughs> the game the game goes the game goes to yeah. extras. You get you get everything you want, and yeah. you know, for for LSU fans, you feel real real vindicated in your your pickup of Tommy White as he obviously gets gets the bomb and extras. And 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 I know it didn't sit well for for you, but you know, as you as you look back on it, man, obviously. You come up short, but you make the you make the run to Omaha, like Daniel talks about. Most televised games, you set sellout records, you know, at the couch. You know, you win every series all year. Obviously, you didn't accomplish the the biggest task, but nonetheless, do y'all accomplished a, a shitload of stuff along the way. So, I mean, you still have to, man. I know 
some people don't believe in the silver lining thing, but you have to feel really good about everything that took place this year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was definitely, definitely just the funnest baseball season of my life, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, even though we lost, it still was the craziest ride I've ever been a part of. That shit was something else for sure. And I mean, and I'll and I'll end with this and let Daniel play a game. Obviously, I've seen you guys all in the lobby. You know, took pictures, signed autographs with me and my son, and everything. Um, man, y'all y'all were really cool after the fact, man. Y'all could have been salty as hell. And uh, I actually got to shout out my own fan base. You know, obviously it wasn't all of them, but there was a large group. You obviously saw LSU fans that, that were applauding because they felt the same way I did. Like y'all, y'all were the best competition we had faced and we're gonna face. And so, uh, man, just we were we were you know proud. I me especially, obviously as a college baseball fan, man, uh, like just proud of the of what y'all accomplished on the season. And man, uh. Look forward to next season. As you know, I obviously know y'all are losing some dudes, but just like the previous year, you got a lot of dudes coming back. And now, like you said, you're even gonna get to play with your brother. So, man, I look forward to it. Maybe we'll see about that. <laughs> Draft eligible this year, so we'll see. Let's go. Let's go. I didn't. Right. I didn't hold on, man. We gotta walk that back. <laughs> it does not, dude. I do thorough research. It does not say. It does not say anything about that. Yep, I I got reclassed my seventh grade year and ah that's why because yeah. it straight up says sophomore on your profile. Yeah, I'm, I am a straight up sophomore, but I got reclassed seventh grade, so I'll be twenty one here in four days. So oh, just in the nick of time. Look at that. No, wow, wow. Yes, well, Tommy, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't think many people realize that you're draft eligible. So we're we're kind of like breaking some news here. So, <laughs> I think the right people know. Yes, yeah, sir. well, no, the, the draft people know, but the people who've no. been talking about Wake as far as next year, they're like, they're definitely going to have Kurtz and Hawk and, you know, all that coming back. No, they may not. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I'm not ruling anything out, but we'll see. Definitely, it's just a waiting game at this point. Uh, but, yeah, that was one thing my dad looked into for sure, which is kind of crazy because I wasn't even like, getting recruited or anything but he knew if i did read class i'd be drafted as a sophomore and different things but yeah i didn't know that until maybe my going in like right when i got to school maybe i think that's when i found out man it's uh it's a big week for you then so you know we'll, we'll see what happens you know either way promising future no matter what so that's it's always good to know that in the back of your head so with that, man, let's let's jump into a game called This or That. You down to play? Gotcha. All right, man. It's it's brought to you by the Chinook Cedary. If you want craft seeds, quality ingredients with tons of flavors, no sandpaper tongue, you got to go grab you a bag of Chinook seeds. They are the best in the game. Tommy, I have to ask you, have you had a bag of their seeds? I have not. Well, we're going to have to change that. Jim... Will make it his point to get you a bag of those seeds, and I challenge you to tell me a, a, a sunflower seed that's better. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you, he's gonna have to, he's gonna have to do a trade off, Daniel, since he's fixing to be 21. He needs to get me that craft beer that they uh, sell at the games. I'm gonna tell you something about going to the couch. It's I not, it's, it's couch. not, it's not Bud Light and Coors Light and Michelob. No, man, it is, it is the brew, the local brews, and. Deacon man, brew. Yes, it is. It is Deacon different. I, I'm going to tell you right now, 
from a beverage standpoint, it was by far the best game. And, you know, I was in a stadium every single weekend this season. It was by far the best beverage selection I found. Hey, I'm I'm down to try that. So just make it a make it a two pack. I'll try it. <laughs> All right, Tommy, here we go. First question. Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. You know, I always wonder this. So why pancakes? Because I, I like both, but I think waffles are the way to go. But I, I, I want to hear why pancakes. So if I'm being honest with you, I think French toast is the way to go. But if I'm picking between French, uh, pancakes and waffles, I'm going pancakes. Just more classy. I don't know. That I just mean, Waffles as long as you put syrup little, on all three. I mean, for waffles, sure. Yeah, for syrup on all three. Waffles were designed with these gutters for syrup <laughs> and butter. Like, what? Like, how could yeah. you not just go? I like know, a waffle, but I'd rather have a pancake or French toast. It's my thing. What feels better, a web gym or a big hit? Big hit. Big hit. I actually thought he would go the other way. I'm going to be honest. I thought about it, and I just feel like getting the big hit's cooler. I sure. feel like a, like a big hit, like you you know what a big hit is, but a web gem, like For really sure. depending on like the situation, like if you got nobody on, nobody out, you make a diving catch, and oh, okay, cool. Like, But you got two guys on, two outs, a ball hitting the gap, you're having to get on your horse, and you make a diving catch, like – yeah, that's Ed going towards the wall. He like, did. He did that and made Sports Center top ten doing it. That's why I'm, I'm bringing it up forward. because, like, it there's like you have like for a web gym to be the better than a big hit. I think there's so many like specific instances that you have to like place it in. So, yep, for sure. It definitely depends on the situation, but I I think I'm still going with big hit. If you left an island with either your wor- – if you were left on an island, okay, with either your worst enemy or no one, which option would you choose? No one. No one? You, you yeah. could tough it out by yourself? Yeah. <laughs> Easily. I can't. Yeah. I got to have somebody to talk to. I, I, I'll fight with them. That's fine. I grew up on an island, so <laughs> I'd be fine. What would you rather wear, pinstripes or the black unis? Pinstripes. Classic. For sure. I guess I'm like the only – I think I'm the only non-classic guy, Daniel. All all four weight guys have said pinstripes, and I like their blacks. See, you weren't listening. You didn't really wear blacks as much this year, though, I felt like. But you also, Jim, you weren't listening at the beginning of the episode when he talked about Robinson Cano. Yankees, like true, but all his teammates said pinstripes. I would wear the black ones, but I'm also a Saints fan. I like the black and gold. Let's go. Oh, so what's more important to you? And I think we already know the answer hair flow or your cleats. Is it your feet or your head? Head straight up, the hair flow. I mean, yeah, for sure. Now that you've cut the hair, do you? feel like something's missing do you feel like a different person a little bit but uh a little bit i feel like i ain't got anything coming up back and i can't rock hats the same but uh i definitely feel it feels good to have shorter hair 
for once in a while. When, like, when he puts a hat on Daniel, it's gonna be like Jordan Beck from Tennessee last year when he when he cut his hair for going to Colorado and he I saw oh, him baseball field and I was like, who the hell is that? It's it's like Rick Vaughn without his glasses. <laughs> so would you would you rather own a massive yacht or your own private jet? Massive yacht. Yeah. I mean, I like the jet. I like the idea of being able to go anywhere at any given notice. Like, you don't have to have like, – you can go over water. You don't have to go through it. Um, the yacht is nice because, I mean – Sell the world. Yeah. I mean, you could – Plus, I've seen pictures of you fishing, out. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, would you rather spend an hour in a walk-in freezer or two hours in a sauna? Uh, two hours in a sauna. I, I hate being cold, man. I yeah, just, I, hate, I hate the cold too. I hate it. You can it. only put on so many clothes, and yeah. I, at some point, it just yeah. it's obnoxious. It's just not it sometimes. All right. Would you rather win a million dollars but have to spend it on other people, or would you rather win a thousand dollars and you only get to spend it on yourself? I'm, I'll go. I'll go with the million for sure. I can still use that other that stuff. I can buy some food for someone else and still eat it, right? True. I guess that's that's <laughs> you're a very generous guy. I, you know, I I don't I think a lot of people would say that. I don't think a lot of people mean that. But yeah. I think I think I think you're genuine. I think I mean, you you know a question I want to bring a million dollars compared to a thousand's a lot. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of eh. a lot. Here's the no. Here's the question. I'm gonna bring back all the way from season four, Daniel, because this is this gonna spice it up. Tommy, back. Tommy, would you rather be the first pick in the MLB draft, but the caveat is you have to cut all your friends loose, can't ever be friends with them again, or be the last pick and you get to keep them? I'll go with the last pick. Oh, uh, I thought he. I, I only asked him that because I thought he was going because he said that whole island comment earlier too. Well, you said my wor- that was with my worst enemy though. <laughs> but I had a feeling he might take that first pick in that money. Nah, nah. I mean, let me let me tell you something, man. If that was even an option in my life, I'd get rid of Jim, and he's my best friend. I'd get rid of him so fast. It's not even question. I'd find a, a new. I mean, we're gym. talking about ten million dollars. I'm cutting you loose for. I'm down. I, I'd find two gems, maybe yeah. three. I mean, I, and you can buy a gym too. Like, I mean, for real. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tommy, man, you are done. Anything you want to plug or promote before we let you bounce? Nothing, man. I got nothing for all. Well, here's what I'll do for you. If people want to know what Tommy Hawk's up to on a Monday night, maybe he's recording a podcast or on Tuesday, maybe it's taco Tuesday, or maybe it's the weekend and next week. And he's preparing to have his name called in the draft. Who knows going over to IG at Tommy Hawk E. So that's a double E, not one, but two E's or who knows? You might see him back with the wake forest demon Deacons. If that's the case, head over to IG at wake baseball. Tommy, man, we wish you nothing but the best. Best of luck uh, this weekend. Best of luck in the future. If there's anything we can do for you, man, just reach out. We'd love to help you. Yes, sir. Thank you all. I'll, I'll keep in touch for sure. CDB. Yeah. See ya. That's Tommy Hawk, everybody. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got some headlines for you. Do you like having posters and supporting your favorite athletes? 
Well, the Athletic Collection gives you a chance to do that with the best posters in the game. They have many different teams with many different sports. Myself, as an LSU fan, I just got myself LSU baseball, LSU gymnastics, and LSU soccer posters to put up in the man cave. So get your posters today at the Athletic Collection, which you can find on Instagram and Twitter. All right, boys. So you know I've struggled with pain. You know I've struggled with weight loss. You know I've struggled with anxiety. And you know I've struggled with sleep. What if I told you there was a place that could help you with all of these things? True Life Dispensary. Pain relief without narcotics. Sleep, weight loss, anxiety relief. You can find this at 117 West Commerce Street in Hernando. Hours, Monday through Friday, 9 to 7. Saturday, 10 to 5. So check them out and get your life turned around. Welcome back to the In Off the Bench podcast. We've got some headlines for you. And we're leading off with whenever college baseball ends. You know what that means, Jim? The draft's on deck. That's right. MLB draft's coming up July 9th through the 11th. So this Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, leading into all-star game all-star game week in seattle um you know just looking back at our seasons and our guests like we as far as our podcast goes we have a lot of guys that are draft eligible and we have a lot of guys that are probably going to get taken um you know with dylan cruz paul skeens um up there number one number two you know depending on who you're talking to, either one could go in, in any direction. So I'll ask you, man, like as far as the draft goes, what is it that you're looking forward to? Is it where our guys go as far as the podcast? Is it what our team is doing? Is it what other teams are doing? Like, what is it that draws you to the draft? Um, it's more of what our guys are doing. If you go back to last year, I watched, um, the first two rounds that were on TV, and then the rest of the the rounds um, I listened to as they were given audio, and I even listened to them as far as in the gym. You know, I listened to Cameron James get picked, ironically, while I was standing there talking to Brady Tiger in the gym, but didn't miss a single pick, Um, got excited. That's the thing, right? It's we're sharing these guys' stories, so – we have kind of become part of that story and we're on that journey with them. And so to see them get drafted, you know, we feel genuine excitement because we know them and, and we're, we're proud of that accomplishment. You know, we, we've, we've watched them play on the field and now they've made that next step. And then, you know, with the pros or Joes that me and Mike did, we did 10 episodes with guys from this show that, uh, yeah, drafted obviously two to three guys per episode. So you're talking about 20 to 30 guys who came on and we got to talk to them about that minor league experience. And so um, that's pretty cool. Something we probably need to look into to getting back, but it, it's cool to see the success. I mean, you look at a guy like Ben Joyce last year, right? He's already pitching for the angels. Um, you got guys like Drew Gilbert, you know, wrecking the ball right now. So um, a lot of things like when you talk about our team, like I love seeing RJ Yeager, um, you know, moving up the ladder for the Cardinals. Like I hope to see him, you know, I loved watching him at state. I would love to see him in a Cardinals uniform. So let's, let's kind of just go through the list of guys. This, and now this isn't all or limited to just our guys, but like the first round, you know, when we're talking about 
guys that have been on the podcast. You got Dylan Cruz, you got Paul Skeens, you've got Jacob Gonzalez, you've got Chase Dolander, you've got, I mean, hasn't been on the show, but a guy we've talked about a lot today, Rhett Louder. Um, you've got, I mean, just endless. Well, well as, far, as far as let's let's we'll start first round. Tommy, Tommy White, Tommy Troy. No, to, Tommy White is not draft eligible. Thank God, he'll, well, he'll I mean, be there. But when you look bro, at guys Tom, who Thomas White, my bad. Yeah, when you look at guys through. who are first round projected, and we'll we'll break down the first round, not just our guests, but first round projected are, um, like you said, Cruz, Skeens, uh, Dolander, Gonzalez, Brock Wilkin. Tommy Troy. So six guys right off the top um, that are projected right there early in the second round. Um, you got Ty Floyd, Cade Keeler uh, from Campbell. You got guys like Hunter Holland. So um, a lot of names of our guests. But as far as the board, the biggest talk, right? And I told I told you guys about this, um, listening to LSU broadcast. This wasn't even something, you know, like I, I created – it's just listening to the people who know what they're talking about. And Ben McDonald, um, you know, a previous LSU player, guy who covers MLB baseball as well, said numerous times there was a real chance that Dylan Cruz would not go number one overall because he was going to want max slot value, period. And his agent that he has has never taken less than max slot value. Well, by all accounts, the Pirates are not going to pay max slot value. Therefore, Wyatt Langford or Max Clark will more than likely be your number one overall pick. I mean, max slot value for the top choice is 9.7 mil. Pittsburgh can take the best player by and break the previous record of 8.4. Um, they'll, you know, they'll still have leftover cash, but, um, you know, obviously the number two through the five slots are averaging about eight million. So there's there's no really no reason for any of the top prospects to have to take a deep cut. Um, you know, when it comes to that, like I still think Dylan Cruz is going number one. Um, I think in the grand scheme of things, the Pirates will pony up. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you're you're only looking at a guy at at you know less than you know a little over a million dollars um you know and that's for a guy that could you know be andrew mccutcheon for you you know you don't know that but he, he could be um but i also think the nationals got their eyes set on a guy like paul Skeens, and i mean why wouldn't they the nationals are are big arm generated, you know, guys like Steven Strasburg flourished in that Nationals organization for that reason. So I think, you know, that's those two spots are great landings, you know, and the Tigers taking Langford, um, you know, I could see the Tigers, you know, ending up with Dylan Cruz. Um, I feel like Langford and Cruz are both basically pro ready. They're going to go, they're going to shoot right up the, the ladder in the ranks. Um, these guys are, are veteran hitters in the SEC. They patrol the outfield better than anybody. Those dudes aren't going to have no time before they're called up. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But, I mean, I, I think you can't miss on either of them. Obviously, um, Cruz is the, 
is the top guy. He's the the once in a generation talent, but not to be overlooked by Wyatt Langford, who's got an absolute freaking cannon on top of being able to swing it himself. And then Skeens, I think Skeens is going to be just like Joyce. He's going to spend a little time. If I'm not mistaken, Daniel, I don't think Skeens, or excuse me, Joyce even pitched AAA. I think he went straight from the Trash Pandas to the Angels. Um, I could see something similar with Skeens. They go get a couple outings from him, feel confident in him, and if they want to, depending obviously on Washington's situation, go ahead and, and get him some time. Yeah, I just I don't know what the like. I don't think there's a a plus side to rushing him. I think more often than not, you probably should hold back on a guy that could potentially be a um, a franchise changing arm. But um, you never know. It, 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 really depends on you know where they're at in the season what they're looking for and let me ask you this with all the injuries that occur with pitchers would it would you because i feel like you might and that's why i asked you this would you consider giving him some time off before you even do anything because he pitched so much this year yeah i think it would be a a wise move but i think it would be a slow transition back um to throwing you look at his last couple of outings, you know, he's he's basically putting the shoulder of the game on, on him and he, he's probably having to pitch harder than he's had to pitch the remainder of the season. So just, just giving him some time to rest, I think, is key. Um, not rushing him in into any kind of like situation um, and kind of letting him get acclimated, get his feet wet, but also um provide him the necessary tools like where if he is succeeding like what is the right route for him to move up let me ask you this um and this brings two guests into play um another LSU Tiger Ty Floyd um really boosted his stock with how he pitched in the postseason um he's now projected in the top 50 how advantageous was it for the two of them to have a guy like Wes Johnson who came from the twins already having a guy who was working with them on their mechanics that came from coaching in the pros. I mean, it's key and you're probably, he's the reason why those guys probably wanted to be at LSU because of a guy that can teach them how to pitch at the big league level, because you don't, there's two reasons why you go to LSU and it's to win a championship, but also in, improve your ability so that you can be drafted. Like those are the two things you're going there for those reasons. And um, if you happen to not get drafted and you win a championship, great. If you happen to not win a championship, but you go pro cool. Um, But I think when you go there, those are the two things that you're really looking for. And a guy like Wes Johnson is a guy that can make that happen for you. Yeah, I've tried not to be, like, salty. I've messaged you guys. Like, everybody's basically rewriting the story or getting the same interview from Dylan Cruz that we had two years ago about why he went to LSU over the draft and what he wanted to achieve. And now it's came to fruition, and it's like, man, like, we put this out there two years ago from Dylan's mouth where he, he said this is this was the goal and the accomplishment. 
he knew that SEC would make him a better player, and he thought that he would improve his draft stock. He managed to do that. Like a lot of things that some people may say he was crazy for, I felt like I felt that way because we had what four or five guys that played Team USA with him from different teams that said he had no business in college baseball. And I thought, why did he come? And then he's got a national championship, Golden Spikes, probably going to go number one, made all the NIL money, got to be a better baseball player. I mean, he's such an improved hitter, like. He really actually accomplished everything he went to college for. And a lot of times it don't work out that way. Um, a lot of times, you know, you, you bet on yourself to improve your draft capital. And sometimes that doesn't happen. Um, and like I, like I was saying earlier, sometimes you might win a national championship, but you don't have the year that you thought you were going to have or vice versa. You have a good year, but you don't, you don't ultimately achieve the reason. One of the reasons why you, you went. But back. do you think? Do you think guys now, when you look at these high school guys, though, they see something like what Dylan did, and when you add in obviously NIL, which changes everything, do you maybe now more consider it? Maybe not, not if you're the first. Not maybe not if you're Max Clark and you're going to go possibly first or third. But like, I mean, if you're a guy like Dylan was, who was fifteen to thirty range, is it something that you maybe consider? Maybe, but I still think like. Baseball is such a different sport. I mean, you're – I'm just looking through it, and like five of the top ten picks are high school players. Like, Which is wild to me. Uh, I'm bothered by the fact, specifically two guys, uh, Wilson and Gonzalez – the two best shortstops in college baseball have slid outside the top 10. Dude, those guys are, are as good as it gets at that position and absolute studs. Like I don't understand how some of these high school guys, especially you have a shortstop in there and then you have a, a bunch of outfielders and a catcher, but like you've seen, you've seen both those guys like, dude, give me, give me Gonzalez or Wilson all day. Yeah, I just think it's it's you're betting on upside and you're getting value and more developmental time and you can take a high school kid and you can pour in four more extra years of development into that person and four years at the pro level developing is head and shoulders better than four years at a college developing because when you're at the pro level, you are under such a such lock and key for development, unlike in college where you're only confined to X amount of times or X amount of hours a week. And like outside of practice, like you have to do a lot of things on your own. So the earlier you can get a guy and instill those things in him and get value and hopefully build equity on your investment, then the better off I think you are. And I think for that reason, you're going to have still a lot of high school guys that go in the draft, especially if they're in the first round. Um, yeah. And I'll tell you a guy until I started studying these mocks a couple of days ago, Daniel, I thought, especially when we were on the last episode, when we were picking teams, um, you know, to win a national championship, I would never pick them because I'd never utter the words out of my mouth. But I thought Florida would be right back because I honestly thought, for whatever reason, I thought Waldrop wasn't draft eligible. So I thought they had Waldrop and Caglione coming back, undoubtedly. 
And then I started looking at these boards and seeing cat or seeing Waldrop in the middle of the first round. And I was like, oh, well, that because I thought I thought they had two aces coming back for sure. Well, I mean, uh, apparently we don't we don't know Jack because. Well, he he re- got guys he, like Tom, Tommy Hawk who reclassified seventh grade. Seventh grade though, like, Tommy, he, like so, like when you add that layer of trying to stay on top of who's eligible and who's not, like you know, it is what it is, man. I got I got one other question. First round, he's not a guest of the show because we don't do Vandy players. Um, but Enrique Bradfield, we got him projecting the top fifteen. You know, we obviously know the elite defense, the elite base running. But the hitting's always been a question, and it's – I mean, he's had plenty of years to work on SEC. I'm asking you, because he's not a guy like – like I said, he's not against the show. We're not Vandy fans, so you're not going to be partial. Do you see him being able to make it to the show with his hitting struggles? Absolutely. Speed kills, man. And you can learn with analytics a lot of things about pitchers to take average hitters and make them – good but you can also take a guy like Bradfield and teach him how to just get on base how to work counts in his favor and you know take the the pressure of having to swing the bat and get on base and teach him how to you know get pitches that he can hit in his zone as opposed to having to hit pitchers pitches but, you know, I, I say all that. He's, he's got the tools, I think. And there are a lot of guys in the league that are like him that started off like maybe not the best player, like a great player in college, but maybe not like the best hitter. And now they're, they're playing. Like defense, defense kills, man. And they'll, they'll teach you how to get on base and teach you some speed. But the tools that he has, I think, is what sets him apart. It's like there's not a whole lot of development of the tools except the hitting part. Um, but we'll see, man. I, I it's it's going to be interesting. Well, I got one. I got one more note before we move off from the draft. I'm going to go on record right now saying, of our guests, um, I feel like the biggest steal of the draft of our guest is going to be Hunter Holland. He's like I said, he's he's projected late second round, early third round. You know, I was getting in an argument with ironically an LSU fan because the Arkansas fan tagged me. I and think Ty Floyd is that guy, by the way. It it could absolutely be Ty Floyd. I think he's got, you he's got get a, a big league arm that has great stuff and has really got a lot of confidence over the past you starts based on the opponents that he's played and that if he can if he can give you that he doesn't even have to give you 17 strikeouts but you know 10 plus strikeouts in a game is going to get you a lot of notoriety it's going to get you a lot of a lot of wins so i mean i think he's got the capability of doing that that's just me yeah no i but ty floyd is projected earlier than Hunter Holland. I feel like Hunter Holland is kind of under the radar and where I was going in this discussion, you know, LSU arguably had, especially when this whole thing was said and done, had the best lineup, right? Yes. Hunter Holland beat them both times that he played them, once in Hoover, once 
in Baton Rouge and gave up no runs. That on top of the fat on the season he had, that that tells me a lot right there. And I watched both of them. I watched him deal. And so he's a he's a guy who somebody may get in the third round that I feel like may be a first round arm. But no, Ty Floyd, the thing was never on him. You know, I'll say this and be done. Most LSU fans that that know baseball, like, and especially talking with Chris, he's always had the stuff. It was really mental with him. And he had to be able – a lot of games, he'd get in trouble and then he'd panic, right? And it was crazy that on the biggest stage was when he finally didn't panic. He He put outings out that were just unreal and he didn't seem to be rattled by the moment. And that was all it took for him. He always had the stuff. And that's how he got 17 Ks. He, he, especially we talk about what Wes Johnson teaches these guys. It was mainly his fastball. He wasn't, it wasn't even the off speed stuff. It was how he used it. Um, It was, it was obviously putting it in the corner of the zone. A lot of times he struggled with location of his fastball and that's when he started to lose it. And then he would go to his second and third pitches and then he'd, you know, leave a hanging breaking ball and get smacked. There's a lot, there's a lot of times he gave up bombs this year. And once he learned how to manipulate and control his fastball and own the zone, I mean, that's what it was. He wasn't he wasn't doing anything fancy. He was just overpowering them. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes it's simple. You've seen it with Dolander too. Like sometimes these guys. There or even Burns, like you know, sometimes these guys are overcomplicating, and I and I know I'm saying it from a guy who's never been who's towed that rubber, but man, just throw throw your shit across the strike zone, right? In a game of failures, trust your stuff and just throw throw strikes. Guys will tend to get themselves out, especially if you locate. So, Jim, before we move off draft, the you know we'll, we both can can do this little exercise, but. You are general manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates with the first pick of the draft. Who are you taking? Oh, man, I'm taking Dylan Cruz. Okay. I think that's who you're taking. Who do you think they will take? I mean, by everything I've heard, I think it'll be Max Clark. Because I heard they could – saving the ballpark a damn near two million dollars and i've known the pirate we're we're cardinals fans they're cheap as hell yeah i think who knows for me though i'll uh i'll break it down for you with <laughs> with the first pick in the mlb draft the pittsburgh pirates select outfielder from Louisiana State University, Dylan Cruz. That's, I mean, that's, that's my pick. I think he's the guy. I think he has lived up to the placement of being in that position. One, you know, Golden Spikes Award winner, won a national championship, was on draft boards for the past two years as being a top guy. So, like, I think he's earned that, despite what Pittsburgh wants to do, or I think they should take Dylan Cruz. But I think we've hammered it enough. Let's hold move. on. No, I got. I got to. I got to tell you, uh, breaking news. Just I'm oh, excited about. I just sent wait you. A minute. I just wait sent a you a picture. Wait a minute. Breaking news. I need you to open your phone up and look at the picture I just sent you. 
breaking news. Here we go. Do you see? Do you see the Iron Campbell shirt? I see it. All right, that is a that is a Campbell shirt. Obviously, that's a um, sick shirt. I it's like a sit. No, that's where I'm going. This is why it's breaking. So it's a couple years old. It's supposedly not available. And I posted on Twitter today. I would wear this to the gym every day. Our man Cade Keeler, who we're just talking about, messaged me on IG and said, "I've seen your post on Twitter. Send me the address. I'll get you one on the way." Let's. I'm. I'm rocking Iron Camels to the gym three times a week, Daniel. That's what's up right there. That's a pretty sweet shirt. I like it. I know. I, I saw that shirt and I was like, I want one like ASAP. Oh, all right. We got to talk MLB baseball. Um, you know what's crazy, man? We haven't even talked about Major League Baseball, and now here we are, almost halfway through the season with the All Star break coming up, and got the draft, but. Um, you know, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the Rays. Um, the Rays dominance has been something that has been unex- unexpected on my my end. I thought that they would be competitive, but not near to the level that they are. Um, they are pitching it well. They're hitting it well. And they even guys got guys like, you know, Wander Franco, who's, you know, was – supposed to be their guy like they're having to sit him down on the bench and like not play him but the next guy just pops in and they're they're doing things um you know the Braves are giving them a run for their money as far as being the best team in MLB right now but well they got a plus table has a one plus 157 run differential to give you perspective Baltimore who's six games back of them and in second place in division only has a plus 17. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, that's, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. If you look across the league, you just mentioned Atlanta, only Atlanta and Texas are even in the realm. They're the only ones in triple digits and and really not even that the next one highest is a plus 58. So Texas is a plus 155 right behind Tampa, and then Atlanta is 141, and then there's at least a 70-run drop-off to the fourth-place team. So those three teams specifically in the run differential, they're not just winning, man. They're hammering, folks. I don't I don't want to uh, dishearten you, but the Braves are playing the Rays in Tampa Friday, Saturday, Sunday. How about that? Are you saying we're going to have to, like, bail on the women this weekend and find our way to the ballpark? I didn't say that. I just said that, if anything, there should be a TV with a very good baseball game on it. Yeah, if it if it wasn't – if you hadn't shown me and I hadn't been with you before, such poor location, if it was just right down the street, I'm sure we could talk the ladies into to bopping over there. But because you've shown me how it will be, like, a whole, basically, day because you got to do – I mean, traffic and a journey and and all that. I mean, with the Braves, too, it's going to be a little bit more. Two of the best teams in baseball, they're playing. There's going to be a lot more people there. Um, you know, it's it's holiday-ish weekend coming off of it. There's a lot of people, you know. And shout-out to, to Austin Riley making the All-Star game again, speaking of Atlanta. They had eight dudes, Daniel. Eight dudes make the All-Star game. Shout out to Randy Arena, who's going to win the home run derby. Let's <laughs> go, Randy. Let's I don't know. Is, is, um, is Rodriguez, is that the kid from Seattle from last year that was a rookie? Uh, 
I mean, I'm sure if he's in it, uh, he just ran it. He just ran out of juice last year. I'm, I would I assume it's guy. him. It's in Seattle. They're always going to have a, a hometown guy in it. So like, why wouldn't it be him unless he's just not wanting to do it? Yeah, Julio Rodriguez. If he's in it, go ahead and cash me in. Man, I got, I got big money, Randy. He's my guy. Oh man. Just looking at the standings, I mean, you got Tampa Bay six games up on Baltimore. Um, in the Central, you got Minnesota a game up on Cleveland. You got Texas three games up on the Astros, which, I mean, Texas, 50-game winner. Um, surprising to you? It's surprising, and they came out the gate hot. But, Daniel, we we do this to ourselves every year, and it sometimes it's Seattle. A lot of times it's Oakland. I try to do it with the Angels, but at the end of the day, it always ends up being Houston. And with them only three games back, if you were to ask me now, I'll tell you it's just going to be Houston. Not like they're the only ones that make the playoff from that division, but they're going to take that division. You know they will. It, at some point, Houston will click, and they will be the team we know them to be, and they'll piss everybody off. I mean, they've 47 wins. I mean, it's not like they're struggling here. I mean, they're going to make – playoffs it looks like um but you know it's you're right i think when you look at the body of work over the past few years like it would be hard to not go yeah houston's gonna figure it out they're only three games back now and we know that really the season starts in september you know if that makes sense but um if i was a betting man i would bet against Oakland in every single game. <laughs> every game. Let me ask you this. I wanted, I wanted to ask you guys this anyways. If you throw a perfect game against Oakland, does it lose its, its pizzazz? Or I don't think so either. No, I because you're playing, you're playing a pro baseball team, period. Yeah, that's that's how I feel. But I I see on social media people are posting like, "Oh, big deal! You threw, you pitched a perfect game against a team that." Those terrible. are those are your those are your people who've never played baseball again, right? Like casuals, like they don't know how hard it is, regardless who it is to to retire twenty seven straight batters. Yeah, I mean, so, think about it statistically, Daniel. Like, man, just you go grab Northwest community college right and you put them up against that same situation odds are one of them gets a hit i mean if and, you, and they're not if, oakland if you take paul Skeens, college pitcher and put them up against the worst college team in baseball they probably figure out how to get a hit right that's what i'm saying like i mean to get 27 straight and we're saying perfect game too there's no walk so you you got to command the strike zone too I don't care who it's against, man. That he he deserves his recognition for sure. Oh, definitely. That brings us to the National League. I mean, we talked a little bit about the Braves. They're nine games up on Miami, who's that's probably your surprising one, right? Like a lot of people yeah, were talking 40. about the Phillies and the Mets coming into the year, and you got Miami right there um ahead of both of them. Obviously, Atlanta's got a big lead, but as as far as just the next best team, I mean that's how good Atlanta's playing. Miami's 12 games over 500, but they're nine games back. Yeah. And then you got the Brewers, the Reds, 
tied, up six games on Pittsburgh, up seven games on the Cubs, and up ten and a half on the Cardinals. And and there's your answer to why I probably haven't gotten back into MLB because from the time that college started to settle down, I had been paying attention enough to know that our team was underachieving doesn't even describe it good enough. Yeah, and I hate to be like that. I hate to be the guy that's like, yeah, it's hard to get into pro baseball because my team's not playing well. Like, that sounds silly. Um, But, I mean, there's a little bit of truth to that. Like, you're 35 and 49. You're 10 and a half back against probably the weakest division in baseball. If not, it's the American League Central. Like, that's probably the the right answer. But, um, you know, I don't know, man. I don't I don't think they're salvaging the season. I don't think they're going to go on one of those, like, cardinal runs, you know, midway through the second half of the season that carries them into the postseason. I just don't see it. Um, but – and usually there's only one team they got to catch in the central because I mean it's it's the recent. they got to catch them all. But I mean no, I'm saying in the sense of usually it's a mediocre division. You just got to beat out one team, right? You got Milwaukee and Cincinnati both sitting up there tied. Like there's actually two pretty solid teams. Obviously not the best, but solid teams. You'd have to be able to to get through both of them because when you look at record wise. Those teams ain't getting the wild card. You have to win the division outright. So you'd have to be able to not only overcome just ten and a half in general, but you'd have to overcome Cincinnati and Milwaukee. It's just something that's not happening, and it's long, just what it is. Long road, man. And you know, then you then you got Arizona uh, in the West, three games up on the Dodgers, three and a half up on the Giants, and eleven and a half up on the Padres, which might be a little bit surprising to a lot of people, um, but. Arizona 50 game winners probably like in the Texas boat. That, well, that one's got to be the surprise of all of them because as someone who hasn't been watching Daniel, I can tell you I've watched a lot of Sports Center and they've talked about Texas a lot. Clearly, they've talked about a- Atlanta and Tampa a lot. I haven't heard anything other than Arizona. If it wasn't for getting prepared for this podcast, I would have never been able to say Arizona was leading the West. They don't talk about them. We definitely don't watch them. No, well, the West I Coast. Thing, I mean, we we don't stay up for the West Coast anyway. But if we do, it's got to be like you know, it was it was somebody big time. I can't look. I'll be honest with you. Anybody wants to knock me on this, this listen to the podcast, they can. I couldn't even tell you. Maybe more than one or two players on Arizona at best. Yeah, I just think they've done a good job with draft capital over the past four or five seasons. They haven't been that great, so they've had chances to grab players develop players and well, that's kind of the the idea you put yourself in a position like they're in right now every few years to do something um i'm lo- i'm lo- i'm looking at it right i'm looking at their roster right now because i said that I- i'll be honest with you i feel i feel like a casual i'm calling myself i mean dude i know three guys on this roster no no cap for real they're getting done with a team of dudes i don't know Wonder what the ages are. So 32, 28, 33. I mean, there's some older guys. I mean, Longoria obviously is the old guy in there, and that's why he's the most notable name in there. But I mean Yeah, I mean I mean look at that outfield. It's all I mean, it's all youth. 
Corbin Carroll, 22, Dominic Fletcher, 25, Lourdes Gurriel, 29, Kyle Lewis, 27, Jake McCarthy, 25, Alec Thomas, 23. So, yeah, um, definitely youth. I mean, you know, the infielders are the oldest dudes on. And those are the ones I knew. I mean, I knew Longoria and Marte were the only ones I knew off the bat. I don't know, man. It's uh, it's good to see them doing their thing. Let me look at the pitchers. Well, the question for them is the same thing we were talking about with Texas, though. I mean, do they sustain and hold off the Dodgers, who usually at the, every, at the end of every year are where they are? Yeah. And obviously, we'll start watching now with, with college baseball being done, getting more acclimated. So, to our listeners, hey, we, we will know our stuff and we will watch the game. But college baseball is just – I mean, it's grabbed our attention. We've had so many guests and it's been – I mean, I feel like Daniel has nothing to do with LSU winning all. I feel like it was more exciting this year than I can really remember. And yeah, I mean, because there were so many good teams, matchups, so many good teams, and I think a lot of it is too is like vested interest. We got a lot of we got a lot of guests, and a lot of our guests were there that weekend, and it made it fun to root for them and cheer for them and see them do good things. But I'll leave MLB at this. I don't think and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think the Cardinals are fixing anything this year. They might they might find themselves in fourth or even third, but I just don't see them doing anything of significance this season. I don't either, and I think what's disheartening, to make my final note on it, is the names and the money that the Cardinals have actually invested in, which is not something they typically have done. And so to be in this spot um you got a, you got a lot of money being used up and you're not accomplishing what you used it for very true all right speaking of a lot of money let's talk nba the grizzlies all right so when we talk about a lot of money they just gave desmond bain a much deserved you know max extension 200 plus million dollars in your eyes is that a good investment and is it deserving? It's absolutely a good investment. It's deserved. Obviously, when it comes to money in the NBA, each year it's all about the the market and where it's at, TV deals, everything. So depending on what year, you may make more money than a guy from a previous year who may be valued it more. Um, but this is one of those years where the money's up and it's available. And Desmond Bain has prove to you that he's your number two guy, right? He's he's going to score efficiently. He can defend the other team's best perimeter player. I mean, I could argue that he's going to start this season being the guy. Well, he is because Ja isn't going to be Even though guy. I'll say this, Jaron needs to be the guy. But I don't think he has it, that. In him. If, if you go back two years ago when they lost to the Warriors in the playoffs, I thought the biggest problem was his back injury because Desmond Bain was basically non-existent because of the injury. You did not have his lockdown defense, and you definitely didn't have his knockdown shooting. I thought that was the key element. When Desmond's healthy, yeah, he's as good as any two guard in the league. I mean, he kind of reminds me of what Clay was for that Warriors team before his injury, right? He was the three and D guy that was dependable at all times. I feel like Bain is that guy. Yeah, he has off games. He's human, 
But for the most most part, you can count on Desmond Bain. And to your point about being the guy with the suspension of Jai, you're going to have to have somebody to lean on. And I think paying him this money definitely makes him feel like, hey, I'm that guy, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna go out there and give him my best. Yeah, and for a guy who had surgery um, over the off season, I think that's a good indication of his health right now and where he stands is that they're going to go ahead and give him that. Um, he got a new running mate too. That's right. Well, you know, we'll get to that. You know, we, we got to talk about Dylan Brooks shipping him off to Houston. Um, you know, time, you know, that, that ship has sailed. It's time. And I, I think maybe we held him on, held on to him for a little bit too long, but I, I do like Dylan Brooks. Um, I thought he brought a certain edge to the team. Um, how he went about doing it, controversial. You know, people may like it or they don't, but I'm the type of guy where you know what you were getting from Dylan and you can't be all right with it one day and not be all right with the next day. So, um, but, you know, I, I wish him nothing but the best over in Houston. We were able to pick up Marcus Smart. And, you know, by all accounts, this is the big signing. It's not that replacement for Dylan Brooks that we were looking for or hoping for. But what it does do is it gives you a guy who knows how to win. He knows how to play in the playoffs. He knows how to show up. He is a ex-defensive player of the year and one of the best defenders in the league. He's got the dog mentality that fits the Memphis team. Yeah, so when you talk about that dog mentality that Dylan Brooks had, I think you're getting a better version of that with Marcus Smart. Yeah, he's uh he's definitely not going to jack up a bunch of th- like Marcus Marcus Smart first of all can shoot better in general, but like he's not the kind of guy who's going to say I'm just going to shoot all game and I don't give a damn what you think, right? Like that's not him. Right. And I think him being a good defender is going to allow um Luke Kennard to be on the floor a little bit more and get value from him shooting. You're going to be able to allow Ja on the floor who isn't as good defensively because he can pick up one of those guys. Um, But also having him and Jaron on the floor together, like defensively makes you really good. Yeah. And I was going to say, if, if you get Adams healthy, right. And you look at the way you can space the floor with what you just said, once once Jaw's back, and if you space the floor with Ja, Bain, Marcus Smart, and Jaron, and then you have Steven, Steven Rome in the paint, that's a problem. Yeah. Got to keep people healthy. But in the event that you do, yeah, that's, that's a recipe for a lot of wins. And I don't know if it, if it garners you the second seed in, in the West, um, but I think it solidifies you in the playoffs. And I think – I think that's where the Grizzlies are trying to be is put us in the playoffs so that we can let the guys that we have show you why we went and got those guys. Well, speaking Um, of getting guys, my, my other question for you is, you know, Derek Rose holds name holds so much value being that he played for the university of Memphis, but you're a realist what is your expectation of what you want to get out of Derrick Rose? I want a guy. So if Derrick Rose is on the court a lot, we're not 
using him the way that, in my eyes, is going to make our team successful. Because if we're having to play him a lot, that means some things are gone wrong. But the great thing is, is you know what he's going to give you every single game. He's going to give you a veteran presence. He's going to give you a little bit of leadership. He's going to be smart with the basketball. He's going to make plays if necessary. But also, he knows how to get people open. Like, that's that's what he's done. Like, when you're talking about coming off pick and rolls, high ball screens with Jaron, like, he's going to make sure he gets the ball. Even guys like Tillman that are in the game, like, I think he makes those guys better. Yeah, and then early in the season without Jaw, obviously he's going to he's going to get more minutes in, um, and so you you hope he fills that. But once Jaw's back, what are you thinking? Like fifteen minutes of solid play. Yeah, I think it's 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 fifteen to eighteen minutes, um, you know, and depending on who you're playing in the game and. The way that it's going, maybe more, maybe less. So, um, but I, I would say on average, probably about fifteen to eighteen a game, and you know, just kind of go from there. But I think it's a win-win when you get a guy like Derrick Rose. The you can tell like the veteran presence is what the management was going for. They did get that. Um, they offloaded Dylan Brooks, which is what they wanted to do. They took care of their guys that have taken care of them. Um, and so we'll see. Ja, you know, my hope is that he comes back and he's the same player that he was. Not the same person, obviously, but the same player on the court that he was. Because I think if you get that, like, you have a great system for some really special things to happen. So, but I guess only time will tell. We'll see what happens, but... I want to talk about your boy Russ? What's an update with Russ? How, how's he doing? Dude, he's doing great, and it showed that he is bought into what the Clippers are doing. It shows that you know, for all the people who talked about his contract, you know, he's making forty-seven million dollars, not worth this and the other. Well, they now all those people can be quiet because my man signed a two-year. Uber friendly deal, eight million dollars, Daniel. Four million dollars a year is all you got to pay Russell Westbrook. So you can put all that, and you're going to get 110 percent like you always do. And for only four million dollars, the question will be for the Clippers: Is can you keep Kawhi Leonard and Paul George healthy? Because that team we saw last year, um, they looked like they were going to compete, but then you know Paul never came back, and then Kawhi ended up bowing out, and you had Russ giving everything you got, but. Um, what a great situation for both, right? <laughs> Russ just wants to be somewhere where he's happy. He's from L.A., obviously. Um, Paul, George, and him are boys. And so he gets to stay with the Clippers in L.A., and he doesn't need money, you know, even though these guys are rich as hell and they always want another contract, another contract. But he did it, you know, team-friendly, $8 million. Let me ask you this. What is what is best-case scenario for the being a guy that not necessarily is a Clippers fan, but you're a Russell Westbrook fan, so you're going to root for the team to do well because that's your guy. So I feel like you can give a very like honest opinion on like what the ceiling is for the Clippers. 
I mean, the the ceiling is a championship. Do I think to win one? No. But, I mean, if those three guys are healthy and they're all playing their best ball, then they absolutely can beat anybody. But we haven't seen that yet, and we haven't really seen them healthy enough to watch them play as a cohesive unit long enough. But, I mean, that's that's what I would like to see. Just, you know, Russ and Paul George neither have – Neither have that ring, and I would like to see it. I don't think I'll ever see it, but I, I think that's their sin. I think this team, no matter what, when you have a guy like Russ, you saw what he did without those guys. Um, you know how he was in Oklahoma City, even though he was younger. Uh, he's going to give it your all, and that, and especially in a place where he's happy because the Lakers just wasn't a fit. So for me as a Russ fan, I don't think the Clippers will be a non-playoff team. And I think there'll be a team that competes no matter what. And I think he's going to do his thing. So I'll be happy at the end of the day. My question for you, because it kind of correlates to Russ, and I brought up OKC. So Russ kind of backed off something he had said when he was OKC. He's, you know, he was going to stay in the small market and he was going to ride with the team. And then obviously he was traded, but they traded because, you know, he was requesting it. Um, I bring that up to, one Damian Lillard, who I always respected the same way I did Russ, because he always said, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to stay in Portland. Well, hell, here Dame is doing what Russ did. Let me ask you a question. Do you lose respect for a guy like Russ or a guy like Dame who talk that talk and say they're going to stay small market, but then eventually get fed up and say, okay, I want to win a championship? Oh, when you're, you're a kid and you grow up and you're pretending to shoot hoops in your driveway and you're, you're pretending you're winning championships. Like, yeah, it's great to be a pro basketball player, but you're not going to convince me that these guys aren't in it to win a championship. So, like, I don't fault Lillard. I don't fault Russ for wanting to leave and go somewhere to win a championship. They it's not like they didn't give their teams time to do something. And right. to be honest, like Russ had a chance at OKC. They really. Yeah, I mean, if, really if, if, if KD stays around, honestly, I told you, I 100% believe they do. But um, I will, to your point, I will say this, you know, after he, after he left, you know, he didn't really have much, but Dame, um, they've kind of like, you know, obviously they took McCollum away they kind of stopped building around him. So they've given him a reason to your point to want to exit. And when you look at the destination that might be, that is most likely they're talking about Miami. If you put him and Jimmy Butler together, my Lord, that you talk about dogs and obviously Dame isn't known for his defense, but you just talk about killer instinct. And obviously I've been on the, the wrong end with, whether you're talking about OKC or any any team I've kind of watched play, Dane, um, he has no problem uh, having ice water and putting you to sleep. And so you put him and him and Jimmy Buckets together. But the only other one I really wanted to talk about, I wanted to ask you about this. Hey, you take Dame out of the West, put him in the East, significantly like makes the Heat the best team in the Oh yeah, there's there's not a one-two combo. Like I mean, obviously, you know, say Harden, you know, Harden, 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 and Embiid. But the the thing is, Harden, Harden, and Embiid. Like obviously, they they did solid last year. But 
they don't, I don't know. They don't put fear in anybody. Does that make sense? Like, like not like, not like Butler does and not like James always did. Like this, I don't know. I don't find anything scary about them. It's kind of like the Celtics, right? The Celtics have been great, but, and they talk about Tatum and Brown, but it's almost like they don't strike the fear into no one. The, the, the one thing I think with Miami you got to watch out for is like, they have like a system that works. So when you take, Dame and you insert them into that system, you are going to have to remove some pieces of that original system. I mean, that's you're just not going to get Dame for for, for nothing. Yeah. Well, well, like well, what what does that look like? I still think it's still the best team in the East, but yeah, that well, would be the concern, I guess. Yeah, and and that was you know we talk about installing our set pieces. Let me ask you about this one. Um, I understand his young talent and everything i can't help but to think back to this past year's playoffs and ask you this is anthony edwards worth five years max deal 260 million dollars off a rookie contract so so i mean you have essentially said if you're the timberwolves this is our guy and everything we're doing is around him is he do you think he is that guy, and do you think he's worth that money? Because I ask because I know about the talent. I get that. But I know what I've seen in the playoffs from him. I, I, think, think, uh, I think he brings youth, and if you're going to invest in your future as the Timberwolves, what is your best opportunity? Yeah, you got to get I don't a see anybody else. At, I don't see anybody else – in, at any other team that's going to be as dynamic of a player that they can draw to Minnesota to pay them that much money. So like, yeah, I believe he's the guy. I do believe like there's part of me that's like, yeah, that's, that's a, a good idea to do if you're a manager trying to lock up what's the best that I can get. He's the best that you can yeah, get. Yeah, and I don't I don't know how don't long know. Towns contract has got left, but I mean obviously I know it's not ended. So I mean those are your two guys, and if you're in Minnesota with what's around them, you gotta hope. i the problem is the West is the West, right? Like it's always been. And I just I don't know that Minnesota team. Um, you know, I said we you know, I didn't have any other ones. I'll tell you the one that actually surprised me. I thought the Warriors would be done with Draymond Green. Still might be. No, they they signed him on a deal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Unless, unless I heard wrong on the radio, uh, I heard they signed him to a four year deal. I mean, I don't know how much of that is. These guys don't want to get out of the comfort of what they've been accustomed to, but I don't think. I think as a as a warrior fan you have to look and go all right we're missing something. And I don't think keeping Draymond is getting you closer to finding what that missing something is. Yeah, I just felt I think, like Dray- all his I think antics- Draymond has value. Don't get me wrong. I think he has value. I know, but I just felt like all his antics, his age when you started adding all that in, I just felt like his time had come. Yeah. I mean, but I think what it comes down to is they probably didn't get – they probably shopped it around. 
and they probably didn't get the value they thought that they could get for him. And so they were like, well, I mean, he was here. He's serviceable. We know what he's going to bring us. Yeah, he's got a lot of this nonsense that comes with him, but he does give us a chance to win games. So maybe that played a part in it. Yeah, know. four four years, one hundred million dollars. I had to find it. He was actually like the first signing. That's why I had to go back so far and find it. Um, he was before uh, Kyrie Irving and Kyle Kuzma and all those ones. I mean, we could have done trade talks forever. When you talk about the names, obviously Kyrie Irving. I didn't even feel like he was worth talking about. I don't. I don't like him and Luca together. I don't see it fitting. I don't see it working. And that's why I don't. I don't know, man. I'm. It, I don't. I don't know how you get with those two guards. I don't know how two point guards that play completely different styles of basketball and have completely different attitudes make you a championship team. I'm just. I'm not a buyer in what in Dallas making that purchase. Well, we'll find out. October will be here before we know it. And we'll be. We need. We we need to. I'm telling you, like the. The college baseball withdrawals, uh, and then the Cardinals not being good. I mean, I'm gonna need football and basketball. I tell you what, I need to tune into. Um, they said it's available to stream. Um, I need to get my red, white, and blue. Not because tomorrow is July fourth, but because uh, we got a lot of our guys playing for, um, the college USA baseball team, national team, and uh, I do know that they won. 10 nothing last night. And I do know that our upcoming get, guest, Charlie uh, Condon from Georgia, hit a grand slam earlier. Go yeah. ahead, Charlie. So I know they're doing their thing. And right now they're kind of playing, you know, that soft, light, getting ready part. But when it comes time to start playing for the hardware, you get locked in, especially with a lot of our guests out there. And especially because I'm a patriotic kind of guy. So other than that, though, man, until football or basketball gets here, um, I'm gonna have to like like jump on your raised bandwagon. You all right with that? Uh, you're yeah, not. Let's you, go. Yeah, you're not on a bandwagon. You're a raised guy, but I'm gonna have to get on there because if I jump on the Cardinals and just watch them lose, it's gonna make me sadder. Got some good chance this weekend to see. Well, then I got to root against pitch. Austin. Damn. That's part of being on the bandwagon, man. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> all right, man. Last call. What you got? Man, uh, I will end with this. LSU won the championship, and I sent you this picture. Uh, I thought it was really cool. Came out of nowhere. Was it having a conversation? The LSU gymnastics girl sending me a picture said, we're next. Daniel, they're winning the championship next year. Calling it now. I can't wait till gymnastics season while we're talking about things. Hey, let's go. I mean, I... I'm rooting for them. They're, they're if if they're not there, I would be shocked. Um, and I say there, I mean in the picture to win a national championship. Obviously, there's a lot of things that have to go right for you to win it, but I think they have all the tools. They have the right people coming back. They made the right additions. Like I think they are primed, and I think people that are coming back and that are joining this team are coming for that purpose. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's, that's and, what and, does these days. They just, and, I, 
Yeah, and uh, and obviously, you know, we got Kim Mulkey that's gonna um be locking up a date here soon. She already uh, from the show. Speaking of LSU championship, I can't wait to talk to Kim. I I got so many questions for Kim. So what? many. What? So does does Kim get you more excited or David Pollock? Kim definitely. Kim definitely. Like, David Pollock gets me excited. Don't get me wrong, but like, I mean, we're talking about Kim, Kim Mulkey here. Come on, man. It's not yeah. close. And, and, and it's funny because I, I post that those two are coming on and people are like, are you getting away from what y'all are doing? It's like, no, like Kim Mulkey is a college and, coach. So it's the same thing that we did with Vitello, but with Pollock, he's involved in the college game and has such great insight on top of having a story. And it's no different than when we had Steve Robertson on, right, who covers Mississippi State sports, but is an actual athlete. Sometimes it's nice to just mix it up and get a different story. So whether we get one from a coach or a former player who's an analyst, like, it's just to mix it up. So we're not doing, you know, kind of the same song and dance every single week. Not that it gets old for for us. We love hearing um, these men and women's story. But, you know, it's, a, it's something a little different. Yeah, Kim, Kim's going to Kim's gonna have that flash. And, and on this note, I'll end and let you sign this thing off. USA won 17 to 1, Daniel. Jeez. Who are they playing? Uh... Taiwan something. TPE. Wow. Like I said, tune up games. Tune up games. 17 to 1, tune up games. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, America. Hashtag America. Team USA all the way. All right, man. Let's, let's, Put a bow on it. Let's get out of here. Another good episode. I want to thank our guest, Tommy Hawk, for joining us. If you like Tommy's story or you just like hearing us average Joes talk X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook. Retweet us on Twitter. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, comments, ratings, feedback, likes, love, hugs, all of it. We'll take it. Send it all to us. We'll see everybody next week. we got episode three coming at you. TCU baseball. We gotta we gotta talk Omaha. We gotta talk about the beginning of the season. We gotta talk about the middle of the season, which we could probably skip over. And then we gotta talk about the end. Like there's a lot to unpack with TCU baseball, but more importantly, we get to do it with a great guy, Austin Davis. So this has been the End Off the Bench Podcast. As always, remember, strong body, sharp minds, great and grind all the time. We're out.